0: So let's look at our text today. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. It's on the screen as well. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. I'm going to invite my hot husband up to lead us in the word. I'll pray for him though. so would you pray with me? Uh, King Jesus, thank you that you are here. Thank you that you sent your spirit to dwell in us, with us, and through us. Would you help us to be more aware of that spirit that's in us and in this place, that you are growing your church here. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to gather as saints, as your children. I just ask that you would speak through Billy, that you would calm him, that you would make his mind focused, and that your word would just illuminate our hearts and minds, and that it would be clear. Uh, what you want us to hear, what you want Billy to say, hide him behind the shadow of the cross. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen.
1: You guys can go ahead and be seated.
0: I got to turn this off? You <clears throat> can.
1: i just put it right there. So again, yeah, welcome to Quorum Deo, and we are figuring it out. So uh, we just started meeting on Sunday mornings last week, and so ambitiously we were like, ah, we'll get there at 7.30. We got this, and uh, it was a morning. So all that to be said, we're excited. We're excited to gather together. We're excited to dive into God's Word. We are in the middle of a series called Jesus The Name Above Every Name, where we're looking at the offices, the life, the ministry of Jesus. And so we're looking at different uh, things that Christ has accomplished for us that he's done for us. And so we're in Hebrews today. But several years ago, I went to a conference, and I don't remember anything about that conference. I can't tell you who spoke at it. I can't tell you what books I bought. I don't remember. But one thing that stuck out with me was a T-shirt, of all things. And I know that's weird. Um, It's on the screen. I'll put it on the screen. Um, And so you may not be able to read that, but this guy was wearing this shirt and he just walked by me and it said, preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. That's heartwarming, right? That's like what you want to put on a mug and you just get up in the morning. You're like, "Mm, just me and Jesus just want to die and be forgotten, right? Like it's really stark. Really intense. You can pull that down. I don't want to depress anyone as we're jumping in. The idea, though, is like there's this guy. His name's Nicholas Zinzendorf. That's right. Or Count Zinzendorf. That sounds cool. Uh, He's a reformer. He was a leader of the Moravian Church. But that's what he's best known for today, that quote. That's what sticks out the most about him. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. I mean, right away, that just takes the focus off of me, takes the focus off of you, and it puts it on Jesus. Another quote that's set with me through the years is from Scottish minister, Robert Murray McShane. I can't do that very well, but I tried. All right, here's what he says. He says, learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. Let your soul be filled with a sense of the excellence of Christ. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. That's powerful, isn't it? Jeez. So right off the bat, I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you it's not about us, right? We so often make our lives, we make church, we make everything about you and I, and part of the reason we chose to do this specific series is we wanted to turn our gaze off of ourselves and put them on Jesus. So I jokingly said this last week: I just jumped off social media. I decided, hey, it's the Lenten season. Usually, this is a time period where you take 40 days to step away from certain things to reflect on Christ's 40-day fast, His life, His ministry. Focus your attention. Focus your gaze on Him. Um. Y'all, I'm straight up addicted to social media, okay? Like, I didn't think it was – I'm like, oh, yeah, no problem. Delete Facebook, delete Instagram, no big deal. This week, I have compulsively pulled up my phone and just looked at a glowing screen of nothing. So many times. I cannot tell you. Like, I've literally been, like, walking to the bathroom, like, going to just look at my phone now. And I realized that, man, today we have our minds so filled with ourselves. We are in a deeply narcissistic narcissistic age of selfies and Instagram stories, and we see the way in which we live and how much we're tempted and encouraged to be completely and totally zoomed in, focused on ourselves. And words like these, like preach the gospel, die and be forgotten, for every look you take at yourself, take 10 looks at Jesus, that should stir our hearts, right? It should arrest our hearts. We need to take them. We need to take our hearts captive every single day, take our minds and take them captive to the word of God. Again, last week, we started in this series to do just that, to look at Jesus. And so as we are in this series, we want to utilize it to help us see and meditate on the character of Jesus. And we're going to do this again by looking at seven key qualities of Jesus's identity, his ministry, so that we can focus our gaze on the King of Kings, And just understand, man, how great Jesus truly is. Last week, we talked about how Jesus is the seed of the woman who defeats our enemy. We talked about how he is the snake crushing king. And today we're going to look at one of Christ's office that shows us that he is the Christ. And that word Christ, it means anointed one. In the old covenant, there were three particular people who were anointed for the service of God. There was the prophet, the priest, and the and the king. And these three dimensions, what they do is they reveal more fully the person and work of Jesus. And we're going to look at each of these offices. But today we're going to start by looking at Jesus as the true prophet. Jesus, the true prophet. Here's what I don't want to do. What I don't want to do is like make this a seminary lecture uh, because I'm not that good. One, two, I'm not, I, I, I mean, I, I'm Not that smart, you know, I went to a couple things, did a few things, but, you know, I mean, I get it. I grew up in the hills, too, y'all. Here's the thing. I want to make sure that we don't just look at concepts because Jesus isn't a concept. He's a king, right? We want to point to Jesus himself. And what's crucial is that you and I see Jesus. So let's continue to walk through this together. So, We want to see who Jesus is. We want to know the truth of who he is and what he's done. And so what we're going to do is we're going to just jump in and focus on knowing Jesus as prophet. And so to know Christ as our prophet, to see how we enjoy communion with him, we're going to look at four fundamental truths that Jesus is the true prophet. And because we're gathering in the Baptist Association building, they're all going to start with R. You're welcome. All right. Because we love alliteration. Let's do this. All right. So the first thing that we're going to see is this. Required. And here's what I mean by that. Our fallen condition requires us to have Jesus as our prophet. We need the prophet. We depend on his word from God for us. Again, thinking about these offices, right? The office of prophet, priest, and king. They all tell us something. These titles, what they contain is actually an inherent judgment for us. As king, Jesus comes to us to subdue our rebellion. As priest, he comes in order to deal with our sin. But the reason he comes to us as prophet is to deal with our ignorance. Now that's heartwarming, right? You guys are like, man, I'm so glad I came here. Billy's telling me I'm ignorant. But, but bear with me. We are in so many ways, right? We have to think, why would God send a prophet, right? Why does he send prophets throughout the Bible? Well, the reason is always spiritual ignorance. God would send his prophet And ultimately, he sends his true, his final prophet, our Lord Jesus. Again, last week, we looked at Adam's sin in the garden. It brought about death. It brought about destruction. So when this fall happens, if we continue to trace through Genesis 3, walk through Genesis, we get to Genesis 6. And it says that after sin entered, the natural progression was that every intention, every thought of man's heart was only evil continually. It's the idea that our hearts, our minds, they're now skewed in the wrong direction. Again, if you have a two-year-old or a three-year-old, you know this, right? You're like, you're two. No one told you to punch your sister and throw a block across the room. They just naturally do that. We keep reading in scripture and we discover more. It's because of our willful rebellion that now there is foolishness that lurks in our heart and impacts our ignorance even further, right? The psalmist says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. In the New Testament, we see this truth over and over and over. Romans one twenty one says this. It says they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Ephesians 4.18 says they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. So it's in the midst of our brokenness. It's in the midst of our tragic situation of moral and spiritual ignorance and indifference. That's what Jesus stepped into. That's how he came. And it's in Jesus' prophetic ministry that a light is turned on into the midst of our darkness. John 1, four tells us that in Jesus was life and the life was the light of men. Here's the deal. Our kid um, is absolutely mortified of the dark right like it's kind of dark in here right now we're, we're figuring it out you know we're working on it but the thing is like we have some lights in here but we we just tried to figure out what's the best way we could do it and we went a little overboard we have four nightlights and they're not like normal night lights, you know like where it's like just a little thing you plug in the wall we've got one of those don't worry but we've also got this one that like shoots stars on the sky and rotates around the room we've got a rock that glows and then a cactus thing that you plug in. it's just a lot right it's like i could never sleep in there because it feels like there's like a light show happening but she's terrified of the dark she's terrified and kids are naturally scared in the dark but here's the deal when we look at our natural darkness we see why we would maybe be afraid of that because there's unknown things there we don't know what's going to happen but when it comes to spiritual darkness we don't seem to be so bothered by it right this is why john says that people love the darkness rather than light This darkness, right, this internal darkness, it's so deep that in this darkness, we are blind to the fact that we're even blind. You and I become conscious of our blindness only when Jesus reveals it to us. It's because of our sin. It's because of our fallen condition that it is only by God's grace that we discover, man, there is no intellectual road to God. If maybe you've been thinking, I can just think my way to God. I can read enough. I can do enough. I can will my way to God. I can be good enough. There's no way. We are far too consumed with ourselves. Martin Luther said it this way He said that man, by his very nature, is turned in upon himself. As a result, you see, our view of the world is not neutral, it's skewed. Y'all, we are biased about everything. Calvin said it this way. John Calvin said the heart of man is a perpetual factory of idols. All we do is churn out new things to worship. William Temple said every day in a thousand ways, I make myself the center of the universe. It's into this darkness. It's into this folly that God speaks through the prophets. And he does so in many and various ways. There are prophets throughout the Bible that speak with great clarity on this theme. They're constantly showing up saying, this is what the Lord says. Or listen to me, O house of Jacob. Or listen to me, O house of Israel. The people were to listen to the word of God. Here's the deal. Old Testament prophecy, though, was not the same as what we see in Jesus. It was a means by which an infallible God used fallible men to bring an infallible word to fallible people. Right? He used broken people to bring a perfect word to broken people the prophets they confronted the people regarding the absolute folly and futility of idolatry the fact that they would worship anything other than the living god and maybe when you and I reread the old testament and you see things like asherah poles and and our idols carved out of wood. You're like, OK, yeah, that's weird, right? Like we don't do that. You know, we're not going up to the store and buying an idol and going home, putting it on our mantle and, and bowing to it. We might think, you know, I, I'm not carving up any idols, man. Like that's not my thing. But here's the deal, Quorum Deo. We continue to manufacture our own gods. And these are gods made in our own image. And they're made all the time. The gods of our own invention take a lot of different forms, but nonetheless, what they do is they lead us further and further away from the living God. Many of us today, we we assume that the way to find God is not to look out there or not to, to look into the word, but to look within ourselves. And again, if we look within ourselves, what we see is brokenness and folly. G.K. Chesterton, he he commented shrewdly. He said that when people um, stop believing in the God of the Bible, it's not that they don't believe in nothing. It's that they begin to believe in anything. That's why we need a prophet who is able to dethrone our ignorance. And unless we are delivered from it by this great and true prophet, we remain in the darkness. We remain in the futility of our thinking. So Jesus is coming. It's required. And we see also it's revealed. There's your next R. Revealed. Look back at the text with me. Hebrews 1 says this long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, that's what the writer of Hebrews says. He says he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus has come. And this prophetic revelatory role is a vital part of his ministry. Moses, he's the first major prophet. He always was speaking of another prophet who was to come. He he would say things like, the Lord your God is gonna raise up from you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. He would say things like, the Lord said to me they are right in what they have spoken. What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And that is a perfect description of what Jesus, Jesus does his prophetic ministry. God put his words into the mouth of Jesus. Jesus reveals everything that the father has commanded him. He shows us what God is like. That's the difference between Jesus and every other prophet. Jesus walks walks among us and reveals who God is. Again, think of his words in the prayer of the high priestly prayer in John 17. He's praying. He's getting ready to go and be crucified. And this is what he says. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. There's been this expectation of the ministry of Christ. There's been this longing, this anticipation of when is the Messiah coming? When is the prophet coming? There's always a longing for the light of God to be revealed. There's so many stories throughout Scripture. You think of uh, Simon in the temple. He's been waiting. He's been anticipating this coming Messiah. And he holds the baby Jesus in his arms. And he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. A light for the revelation to the Gentiles. Right in the deep piety of Simon's expectation. He was looking for a literal embodiment. The fulfillment of an ancient prophetic word. And he sees it. We also see a similar interaction and a really uh, kind of seemingly popular. We we, we kind of gotten so used to it, but it's a peculiar story. In John chapter 4, Jesus speaks to a woman at the well, and it is an incredible interaction. See, the idea of expectation, it had spread not just through Israel, but all the way to the Samaritans. They did not have the greatest theology. They didn't have the greatest teachers, but she knew enough theology to say to Jesus that, hey, when the Messiah comes, he's going to tell us everything. That's a pretty brilliant statement from an unlikely source. This is a Samaritan woman, someone who was considered to be outside of the promises of God. She was someone who had multiple husbands and now she has a live-in boyfriend. And she meets this Jewish stranger and an unexpected conversation happens. And it's pretty wild that this happens. Jesus speaks to her and she immediately responds, oh, I can see that you're a prophet. And then as the dialogue continues, um, she seeks, as it were, to put an end to it. By simply telling, you know, this weird guy who's asking her too many questions that when the Messiah comes, he's going to sort it all out. Because when he comes, all of this is going to make sense. It's going to be absolutely clear. And little did she expect Jesus to respond, well, I who speak to you am he. She was amazed. You see, Jesus is throughout the New Testament over and over again being revealed as prophet. Immediately following the feeding of the 5,000, the word on everyone's lips is this indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. When Jesus stops a funeral procession, it was to raise this, this dead boy to restore him to his mother. And in the response of the people is what? A great prophet has risen among us. When Nicodemus approaches Jesus and we get the famous verse that everyone likes to, for some reason, hold up at football games, John 3.16. I guess they hope people read it and God just illuminates their hearts. Maybe he does. Awesome. If he does. <laughs> He asks Jesus, right? He's this profoundly learned, deeply religious Pharisee. He comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness. And he said, you know, I can see that you are a teacher sent from God. In other words, I can see that you're a prophet. And when Jesus asked his disciples, hey, what's the word on the street? Who do people say that I am? Well, their answer was, many say that you are one of the prophets. Jesus accepted this designation, although he wanted it to be properly understood because it wasn't, for example, it wasn't just some meaningless thing. He was bringing again the light of God's revelation into the world. He sensed that there is this hostile reaction to prophets, right? If you get, if you look through the Old Testament, prophets aren't generally well-received. People aren't laying out the milk and cookies for prophets, y'all. Like if you've ever been like, you know what? I want to be like the prophets. No, you don't. Because you don't want to get your teeth kicked in. That's what happens. And Jesus knew that was what was going to happen for him. Why? in fact, he goes to Nazareth, his hometown, and he's super stoked to go there, right? No, he knows what happens. He reads Isaiah and he says, all of this is fulfilled in your presence. And immediately they're like, you aren't you like his kid and her kid and like what makes you special who do you think you are like i mean it's like you act like you know who your daddy is it's like that's weird right and he comes down and he knows that no prophet is acceptable in his hometown Corumdeo we need a prophet we need one we need one because of our ignorance and Jesus is that prophet he is the revealed prophet we need next thing we see is he's recognized he's recognized this takes us a little bit further than revealed ultimately jesus has to be recognized by us not merely as a messenger of revelation from god but he's the very source of revelation he's not only the revealer he is the revelation That's why after his words in Nazareth, the buzz around the town is, man, isn't this Joseph's son? Who does he think he is reading scriptures like this? Who does he think he is adopting the position of teacher? Who is this man on whom our eyes were fixed like magnets? Who is this who says today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing? Think of another story. Okay, Jesus has risen from the grave and there are these disciples. They're walking to Emmaus. And they're kind of just like, we don't know what's going on. Like everything we thought was going to happen didn't happen. Like the guy we were following, they killed him. Like this is crazy. And Jesus shows up and they don't recognize him. They had no idea that they were speaking to the one who had just risen from the dead. And so they start talking, right? They engage in a conversation and Jesus lovingly, gently rebukes them and shows them God's revelation. This is what he says in Luke chapter 24. He says, oh, foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, none of the other prophets could say that, could they, right? None of them could say, and all of this is about me. But Jesus could. Because Jesus is the embodiment of all that the prophets had previously said. Essentially, Jesus is able to take these disciples. He's able to take them to the scriptures as they are, open them up and say, do you see? This whole thing is a book about me. And Jesus explains the scripture to them and their eyes are open. They hear a careful exposition of the scriptures, which just side note, that's why we preach through books of the Bible, because we want to know Jesus more. Even sermon series like this where we're very heavily in scripture weird me out a little bit, right? I love to just walk line by line, verse by verse through books of the Bible because we want to see the revealed truth of God. And as they do, as they hear this from Jesus, they experience the illumination of their minds and they discover a new passion stirring in their hearts. There's a fire. There's an eagerness because they recognize him. They recognize him. Listen to the rest of this. Luke 24, jump down to verse 31. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? You see, Jesus did the same in his other post-resurrection appearances to the disciples. You see, not only did he come to open the scriptures, to open hearts, but now he opened our minds to understand the scriptures. And he says to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise from the dead. This is what was written then, Jesus said, and now what has happened in me is the fulfillment of all of it. This was all part of his plan to prepare these same disciples to go out in the power of the Spirit of God to preach the truth embodied in him as God's final prophet. You see, Jesus wants them to know him fully. He wants us to see him and to know the full revelation of what he's accomplished for us, right? The gospel, we have become so numb to it. We grow up here in the South in the Bible Belt where there's like a billion churches, it feels like. And Grandma used to drag us. We know, yes, Jesus died for my sins. But we never stop to just pause and consider who Jesus is. We need him to not just be revealed, but we need to recognize that he is the king of kings. He is the name above every name that because of him, death is defeated. We now have life and life eternal that we don't have to bear guilt and shame that has been nailed to the cross. And it's not there anymore because Jesus buried it and rose again and gives you newness of life that isn't some pie in the sky, precious moment someday. It's life eternal right here, right now. The prophetic role of Jesus, it's required to dispel our ignorance. It's revealed in Jesus himself. It's recognized in all of its fullness at the end of his earthly ministry. But there's another step we need to take if we're to fully capture it. These first three aspects describe Jesus' his finished work, his fulfilled ministry. But there's a fourth aspect, his ongoing, his unfinished work, because Jesus is still ministering to us as a prophet right now. And that is this, realized. Jesus' ministry as a prophet needs to be realized. You see, in the preaching and teaching of the Bible, Christ's prophetic ministry was continued in the preaching and teaching ministry of the apostles. It's the same that's true today, right? It's the preacher's ongoing task to bring the scriptures to bear upon the minds of the blinded and the ignorant in their own time and their own generation. The prophetic word of Jesus, it continues in me, it continues in you. It's when we open up God's word, when we speak the gospel, when we share Jesus. That's where the ongoing prophetic work of Jesus continues. That's what Paul is saying when he writes to the Corinthians. Therefore, we are ambassadors. God making his appeal through us. Through Paul? Through Timothy? Through Titus? Yes. And doesn't that also imply us? God is making his appeal through me and you. God is working through us. At the close of his earthly ministry, Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to go out from here into the world and preach the gospel. But listen. I'm with you. I'm with you. Look, these guys were getting ready to go into a hostile world. And they were deeply aware of their own weakness. They were deeply aware of their personal frailty and their ineffectiveness. And Jesus is giving them a rock solid promise. He says, look, I will be there. I was once lifted up on the cross. And I'm going to be lifted up again through your witness in order to draw men to myself. The task of sharing the gospel involves us simply and clearly bearing testimony to Jesus. It involves saying, hey, here's who Jesus is. Here's what he accomplished historically. Here's the significance of why he died. Here's the wonder of his resurrection. And here's the fact of his ascension that right here, right now, God is standing, praying for me to the father. The promise of Christ is that in this ongoing ministry of God's word, he is present. He continues to speak. So we consider this reality that the prophetic role of Jesus, it's required so that it would dispel our ignorance. It's revealed in Jesus himself. It's recognized in all of its fullness at the end of his earthly ministry. And it's realized in the preaching of the gospel. But I think many of us would ask, cool, what does that have to do with me? We hear things like that and we're like, okay, what does this lead to? Well, here's what I would say. I would hope it leads to passion. I would hope that just like when the disciples were walking, that your hearts would burn for him. That as you see more and more of Jesus throughout the scriptures, that you would yearn for him. See, there's a vast difference between simply just conveying information to people, which can be cold and ineffectual, but true preaching, true witness... Man, there's power in that. Here's the thing. We talk about the things we love. We just do, okay? Like, I remember a couple months ago, I was hanging out with Tyler. I'm going to pick on him just for a minute. And he was super passionate about Pokemon Sh- Sword and Shield. And I was like, neat, dude. Like, cool, man. But he was into it. He was like, look, dude, I know I am like over 30. But it is like the coolest thing ever. Because it's fun. And I ended up buying the dang game. I I was like, you know what? You got a point. And I bought it. That's the thing, guys. Passion is contagious. We talk about what we love. We do. Do we love him? You might say, look, Billy, that sounds great. I'm not a preacher. Well, you may not be employed in a position, but you and I are called to be a herald of the good news of Jesus. There's a, pre- there's a really profound difference between teaching and preaching. right? We're not simply seeking to just inform people about Jesus. We are making a personal, passionate plea. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's it. It's not just for the pulpit. It's not just for Sunday mornings. This is for the grocery store. This is for the soccer field. This is for the coffee shop. Wherever we tell others about the Lord Jesus, it's through God's power and with an awareness that Christ himself is the great prophet of God. We say in our own words, I implore you, be reconciled to God. Receive the reconciliation that he has provided. And when God begins to work, people say, Man, I didn't know about that. Please tell me more. And we can respond, well, then I will be glad to tell you about it. Let me tell you this story. Guys, we have an opportunity to speak into the darkness of so many, to speak into the futility and darkness of people's minds as we share the hope of the gospel. Many of us enter into dark places every week. I know that so many of you, your careers, the jobs that you have, you're stepping into places where you see clearly. It's hard to not get frustrated sometimes. We have to remember there is spiritual blindness and ignorance that is there. I want to remind you of this as I, as I commission and challenge all of us to like, hey, let's speak the truth of the gospel. You are not Jesus. You do not save people. No, you point people to the risen one. Guys, that should give you and I enormous encouragement, because if that were not the case, then we wouldn't really know who was doing what, would we? Was it my convincing you know, speech? Did I win him over? Or I mean, I, you know what? It's because I'm a doofus. That's why that guy wouldn't believe in Jesus. You are not that powerful friend. You're not. When we're aware of the fact that God gives us this, he takes this beautiful, amazing gift, this treasure of salvation, and he stores it in earthenware vessels, fractured jars of clay. When we realize, man, I'm just a goober. We can share our hope obediently saying it is God who saves. One commentator looking at Acts and seeing the apostles sharing the gospel on the day of Pentecost, he says that they do so with a waft of the supernatural. And he's not talking about weird eccentric things you might see on TBN. No, not that. He's talking about what Peter must have felt on the day of Pentecost. Think of Peter. (laughs) He knew that he was a complete and utter washout. Yet on the day of Pentecost, Peter finds himself surrounded by his fellow countrymen, his, their visitors from abroad, and there he stands. He's in the very same streets of Jerusalem where he'd run to hide just a few weeks before. He had denied the name of Jesus not that long ago. Yet now... Now he addresses the crowd with such boldness, with such clarity of understanding of the Bible's message that it is utterly breathtaking. Man, that day that 3,000 people were baptized. That's incredible. I would say, yeah, there's a waft of the supernatural happening there, but isn't there supposed to be? Another quote, another Scottishman. He says this, when the gospel is preached... Christ walks among his people. It's the miracle of Christmas all over again. Christ clothed himself in humanity, spurning the language of angels to speak with the tongues of mortals. Friends, this should give us bold confidence if we accept this if we bow down before the truth of christ's prophetic ministry and then stand up on our feet ready to serve the lord god honors that something will happen we will be endued with a sense of confidence a god in bold and confidence the kind of confidence that allows us to be courageous in the face of all the challenges of our day it makes us bold enough to be faithful to our lord and his commission despite all of the the skepticism and the pluralism of our culture it gives us the confidence and the courage to say that there is no other name under heaven among by which people can be saved we won't be embarrassed that jesus said i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me We will be unashamed of the the exclusivism of Christ's salvation, right? Because Jesus alone is the way to God. He alone is the mediator between God and man. And we will be encouraged to tell others about him because we know that he is able to save to the uttermost. But here's what I don't want us to leave with. I don't want us to leave with a boldness that lacks compassion. There's a compassion that leads us into the world to see with the eyes of Jesus. For several years, I preached at a small country church, um, some just bad sermons, real bad. And God was so gracious to me. And I learned some amazing hymns and some weird hymns, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever sung Bringing in the Sheaves, but it's a a song, you know, that you can sing. Um, But we sang a song called Rescue the Perishing and listen to these words. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep o'er the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. See, some of us are good at boldness, but we're not so good at compassion. We gravitate to all the bold verses, but we turn away from the gospel's call to show genuine empathy Guys, we need to remember the boldness of Jesus. He is the Christ whose zeal for the father's house consumed him in the temple, right? He came in and flipped tables and whipped people. Now, that's not like (laughs) we don't want to just leave with that picture of Jesus because we also know that he is the Christ who set his face steadfastly to go to Jerusalem, to go to the cross. He's always about his father's business. He's the one who says in Matthew 23, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing When we recognize Jesus as the true prophet who exercises his ministry with compassionate boldness, then we can learn, despite all of our weaknesses, to be bold with a boldness that comes from him. And despite all of our natural selfishness, to discover a compassion that comes from Christ and makes us say, Oh, Morganton, Morganton. Or, Oh, Burke County, Burke County. We so much want to see Jesus be made much of to know him, to know that he is the true prophet. So how might God use you to speak the truth of Jesus to those around you? I think it's easy to hear sermons like this. Maybe feel emboldened for a bit. You know, maybe, and don't do this. Leave a track instead of a tip. If I ever find out you do that, we're going to have a conversation. And love, you know, and compassion about how you're wrong. (laughs) You see, I think part of this is because we lack compassion, right? I think we can be bold, and then we lose that because what's going on across the street, what's going on in their lives, it doesn't really affect me. We can be bold enough to kind of want to awkwardly work Jesus into a conversation at work. But if we don't have compassion, if your heart does not break for your neighbors, if your heart does not break for those whose lives are in bondage to opioids and addiction, if your heart does not break for the refugees who come to this community and find no welcome, if your heart does not break for your neighbor who feels like they're not going to make it another day because they don't know Jesus, they don't know the hope that you have, friends, I would encourage you, man, plead to the Lord to give you a brokenness and a, and a compassion that only He can give. I mean, I would just encourage you, drive around your neighborhood. On your way to work in the morning, look around and pray and say, Lord, please give me the eyes of Jesus. Help me to see with compassion. Do we know our neighborhoods? Do we know our workplaces? Do we know our friends? Do we know their hurts? Quorum Deo, how can we speak the hope of Jesus? How can the prophetic voice ring out in our words? Let's pray together. God, you are so good to us. You love us with a love that is unfathomable, Lord. You showcase to us mercy unending. Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would make much of yourself in us, God. I pray that we would seek you over and over again and again, that we would speak your prophetic word with boldness. And we know that word to be the gospel god would we know the gospel would we see the truth of your life a life that none of us could hope to live a life that was perfect in every way Would we see the truth of your death a death that was died that we deserved a death that took on our shame our brokenness that took on the rejection of the father and that it was nailed to the cross, and that in your resurrection now we have life and life eternal. Would we believe this truth, Lord? Would we walk in this promise? And would we speak this hope to others? Would we seek for others to be reconciled to you as we have been reconciled? Thank you, God, for revealing the truth, for turning light on in the midst of darkness. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.